Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome again to South Lansing Christian Church. I'm so glad you all made it. What a couple days we've had with the, the storm and the weather. Our power came on again at the Newest Wonder household yesterday, and so we're thankful for that. But I know some of you guys are still without power. And so we've opened up the church over the last couple days. If you need to come charge devices, if you need a hot shower, we've got a place here that you can come and show up. And so please reach out to your church family if you have needs. We want to help. We'll even, I'll even show up with a chainsaw. I would love to come cut wood at your house. I've been doing that for the last couple days. It's been fun. Hey, today's our final week in our, our series called Fallout. We've been looking at the effects of sin, uh, the human's mistake in the Garden of Eden, and the curse upon creation. Because of our sin, we live in a world of consequences of fallout. And this infects our relationships with each other. It affects our, relationships, our relationship with God and our relationship with creation. And so over the last few weeks, as we've discussed the Ten Commandments, God's rules, his boundary laws that he set up so that his people could adequately live within uh, his ideals, within how he wanted them to live, to, to demonstrate to the world around them just who God was. We've talked about them, and we've also talked through some stories of natural disasters and you know, nuclear fallout and uh, people displaced by these disasters, stories of fallout every week, fun stuff like that, you know. Well, today I want to share with you one other area in which we experience fallout. And this is a uniquely American area of dysfunction. It, it pertains to our houses. And so it's not so much a nuclear fallout scenario, but it's, a, it's also probably not quite what you think it is. While it's a, a housing crisis, it's, it's not quite the housing crisis you think it is, and it's not in the way that might come to mind. A recent headline in the Washington Post reads this way, HGTV is making our homes boring and us sad. Yeah, apparently the true housing crisis is not that we all experience a crazy storm. It's not a shortage of housing. It's that the true housing crisis is because of reality TV, all of our houses are the same house. Now, according to this study from a couple of universities I've never heard of, what we're seeing on TV is what we want to mirror in our own spaces. And this leads to us all sharing spaces that look the same with the same colors, the same furniture, the same kind of designed interiors. Buyers want what they see on TV, and, and so we as, as people who live in these spaces will often cater to buyers' preferences, all in the name of some, you know, theoretical resale in the future or seeing something that others have that we want. Now, the article lays the blame for this fallout, for this uh, the sameness of our, our housing at the feet of that housing market. But I think that perhaps the real, the real issue here is something much simpler. It's a feeling that we've all felt. It's, it's the desire to get what we do not have. Now, I haven't watched much HGTV. It comes on the television when I'm in a hotel with my family. For some reason, that's what we watch and so I don't know, I, I guess if you spend enough time watching true home renovations for toddlers or amazing treehouse makeovers in Canada, that you begin to like you know, digest the stuff and it, it becomes part of you. And eventually, what you have is not enough. You become disaffected with your space and you want what you see on the screen. The Bible has a word for this attitude, this desire to get what others have. And that word is, is covet. 
Now, that's not a word we use all that much in our everyday conversations, but at its simplest, to covet is to yearn to possess what belongs to another. And so just as our coveting of other people's houses and spaces on the television leads us to have these boring and uniform spaces of our own in our houses, coveting in general has serious consequences for all of God's people, for all of creation, and for all of humanity. So turn with me to Exodus 20. That's where we're going to be today. We've been there for a few weeks. Exodus 20 is the account of the Ten Commandments. Uh-oh. There we go. Exodus 20 is the account of the Ten Commandments. And in the Ten Commandments, God lists these boundary markers for his people. We're going to start in Exodus 20, verse 1. We've been here a few times over the last few weeks. This is how that reads, Exodus 21. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, from the place of your slavery. You must not have any other gods before me. Now, I hope these verses are becoming familiar at this point. Again, we've read these every week in this series, but they're so important to understand. And with the, the risk of sounding like a, a broken record, the Ten Commandments were given to a people who already belonged to God. And they were given specifically to remind them, this is how you shall Live And so whenever we approach the Ten Commandments, we have to start here at the beginning, at, at the, the reminder that God gives that he is the one who brought them out of Egypt and he is to be their God. Because just like the Israelites were chosen by God, were rescued from slavery in Egypt, and then were given a purpose— You and I, we have been rescued by God from our sins. We've been redeemed by Jesus, and we have been given a purpose. And just like the Israelites, for them, their purpose was to reflect God's character in their relationships with each other and thereby show others just what God was like. So too is our purpose. Our purpose is to reflect God's character in our relationships with each other and thereby show others just who Jesus is. And so these 10 words given to be a boundary appropriate for behavior among God's people, they were relevant to the Israelites thousands of years ago, but they're just as relevant for us today. Now, we've read through commandments 2 through 9 in the the previous weeks, and we're going to jump ahead to verse 17. So turn there with me, Exodus 20, verse 17. You must not covet your neighbor's house, You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I kind of like this commandment because in contrast to the previous ones, which were short, not necessarily sweet, don't steal, don't commit false testimony, don't kill. This one is a little bit more specific. It's a little longer. There's a little bit more here. God is, is very clear This commandment's pretty all-encompassing. It's all of your neighbor's stuff belongs to them. Don't covet that stuff. Now, there's a a bit of a tone shift here, or at least a, a shift in direction, because when you think about the commandments, the commandments in general are actionable items, right? Don't, don't make an idol. People can look and see if you are making and worshiping an idol. Honor your father and mother. These are actionable items. You can, it's clear from your, your life and how you're living if, if uh, you are honoring your parents, 
Remember the Sabbath. Don't steal. We can show up at your house and see if you've stolen things. These are things that are external behaviors. But now we get to commandment number 10. You shall not covet. And it's more of a a commandment of the inward self of the heart. And we've been talking about that over the last few weeks too. How our hearts are, are deceitful and wicked and drawn towards sin. And apart from Jesus, following your heart is a terrible idea. But this commandment really drives that home. This is a commandment of the inner will of the the self. And And it shows us that no matter what you look like on the outside, God knows who you really are. This commandment tells us that who you are on the inside matters just as much as who you are on the outside. And for that matter, who you are on the inside will often make its way out into your behavior and then others can see who you really are. And so coveting here kind of sums up the Ten Commandments. And and perhaps in that way, it it shows God's intention. Don't covet because, you know, when your greed starts to overwhelm you, you may be tempted to take what's not yours. You might be tempted to steal. Don't covet because when your envy of another person becomes so intense, you might be tempted to commit false testimony against your neighbor and thereby bring them down and maybe attempt to elevate yourself. Don't covet because when your need to acquire more and more starts to to overwhelm you, you might be tempted to take steps of violence towards your neighbor. Don't covet because when you have your total fixation upon other people's stuff, you begin to create an idol. You begin to worship something that is not God himself. Instead, instead of coveting, the Israelites were to remember this one thing, that God is enough. God is enough. God was enough for the Israelites back in Moses' day, and God is enough for you and for me. You know, the Israelites, for their part, They were stuck in slavery in Egypt. They had no way of escape, no path forward. And yet God was enough to bring them not only out of Egypt, but to now give them his law, meet with them here, and then to bring them into the promised land and to set them up as a nation. And for you and for me, apart from Jesus, we were stuck in our sin. We were living lives that were unfulfilling, finite, headed towards an eternity far from God, and yet now Jesus is enough. God is enough. He's rescued us, and he's brought us into his kingdom. God is enough, but man, we have a hard time believing that. Even if you say that to yourself this week, you're going to have a hard time believing that. To covet is to be an American, I think. We are so far removed from our needs, even though on, you know, over the last few days, maybe some of us have, have come into contact with our real needs, food and shelter and safety, but we are, are in general so far removed from our needs that we don't even know, and there's a whole industry out there, advertising, that is designed to generate needs within us and to tell us that we are somehow less than if we don't have this latest gadget or if our house doesn't look like this or if we're not driving that car or wearing those clothes. And because this is so prevalent, this desire to get more and more and more and to not be satisfied with what we have, because this is so prevalent among us, I think we don't even 
acknowledge it as a sin half the time. And so perhaps you've never considered yourself to be a coveter. You've never considered this sin to be something that you struggle with. But you might be a coveter if you've ever looked longingly at someone else's car. You might be a coveter if you've ever thought, I wish I had more money. You might be a coveter if you saw somebody's vacation photos on social media and felt intense FOMO. You might be a coveter if you've ever wanted somebody else's job. You might be a coveter if you've wished your clothing were better, your house were nicer, your phone was a different phone, your body was differently shaped, your family was more like someone else's. This all might feel very specific, but look how specific God was here in Exodus 20. You must not covet your neighbor's house, okay? You must not covet your neighbor's wife, okay? You must not covet your neighbor's servants. You must not covet your neighbor's animals. You must not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Man, I think we're all guilty of this. It's just how we think. We have this constant hunger for more and more and more. And so if that's where we are, how do we get to the point of being people who obey God and, and honor Jesus with our lives, I think it comes back to that phrase. We start by remembering that God is enough. It's going to be hard for you to believe that this week, but God is enough. As Paul says in Philippians 4, my God will supply all that you need. He doesn't say all that you want. And we have some wants. You might want ease and comfort and all the stuff. God might give you food, clothing, and shelter, and a church family. Jesus said, look at the birds of the air. Look how God cares for them. Will he not care for you even more? And yet, we have this laundry list of things that we want. We don't just want God's care. We don't want just our needs fulfilled, but we want success and profit and Instagram-worthy houses and YouTube-worthy adventures and vacations. But these are needs. And so this week, And you start to feel that hunger growing in you. Remind yourself, God is enough. God's more than enough. God's rescued you. He's redeemed you. He's put you into right relationship with him. He's given you a future and a hope and eternity. Live forever in his presence with a restored relationship with your brothers and sisters and with the new heaven and new earth. And in comparison to all that, this is all just stuff. It's just Stuff. It's only here for the here and now. It's temporary. There's a bumper sticker out there that you've seen, I'm sure. He who dies with the most toys wins. And we kind of chuckle at that and think, ha ha, you know, man, I'd like to have more toys, I guess. But man, that's a, that's a terminally mistaken way to live your life. And it's got eternal consequences. And so remind yourself that God is enough There's another step I think we can take here. Remind yourself that God is enough and then lean into that dissatisfaction. I think there is a way for us to be dissatisfied without stepping into materialism, without crossing the line into sin. And I call that holy dissatisfaction. It requires a a humble spirit, gratitude for what God has done for you. and, And instead of being dissatisfied to the point of seeking to acquire more, holy dissatisfaction is a completely different kind of restlessness. Coveting says, 
I don't have enough. I'll get more. Holy dissatisfaction says this world is full of pain and injustice and only God can bring real and lasting peace to my life. Coveting says my neighbors have more than me. How can I get more of that kind of stuff? But holy dissatisfaction says the things of this world are ultimately unfulfilling and so I will seek God. Coveting says my friends have better lives than me. How do I get from here to there and Holy dissatisfaction says, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Holy dissatisfaction is this attitude that doesn't look anything like the attitudes of the world around us, like the greed and the envy and the coveting of this world. But holy holy dissatisfaction leads us into a greater appreciation for just who God is, for just what he's done for us. Holy dissatisfaction leads us to understand that the material things of the world, the stuff is just stuff. Even the wealth, even the experiences that we have now are temporary, they're fleeting, and they will soon be forgotten, waste away, be gone. And so instead, our dissatisfaction leads us to seek God above all else and to look out for the others in our lives. And so when it comes to coveting, remember these two things. Remember that God is enough, and then remember to lean into that dissatisfaction and use that discomfort, that unsettledness to seek God instead of to seek your own well-being. So that's really the end of the Ten Commandments, and that's the end of our discussion on the Ten Commandments. And I want to tell you about what's coming up next. Next week, we're going to have a worship day together, and that'll be here on Sunday, and I hope that you'll join us for that. And then following that, we're stepping into a, a new series called Ever-Present Help. It's looking at the ways in which God was, was present as a help to his people and, and the ways in which God shows up in our lives. And as we do that, we'll be starting a new Bible reading plan, and, and if you remember back to January, we read through the Gospels together. We read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, we're continuing our journey through Scripture, and we're doing so uh, reading the first five books of the Bible. And we'll be using the Bible app, and I want you to to sign up uh, for our church's campus there because one of the things we ran into last time was feeling like some of us were out of step with the Bible reading plan from others. And so if you go on the Bible app, search for South Lansing Christian Church, set us as your campus, then you'll see that on September 10, when we launch this Bible reading plan, you'll be right there with us. You'll be in step. So we'll be reading about two chapters a day from, from September 10 all the way through the end of Thanksgiving. And we'll be looking at the ways each week in which God is working. And so that's, that's our series for the fall. That's happening on the 10th. But for this week, we're putting the bow on, on this series. We're wrapping up this fallout idea. And, and honestly, it's, it's, it's going to be nice to step away from focusing so much on the brokenness of this world. But as we, as we do, as we, as we wrap this up, I want to point out one thing. That all of this, especially coveting, started, started way back in the Garden of Eden. Just like lying and stealing and killing all have their roots in Adam and Eve's sin, so too does coveting. I mean, think about Adam and Eve. They had everything that they could ever have wanted. They had companionship with each other. They had a beautiful place to live. They had food. They had a perfect relationship with God who would come and walk in the evenings in the garden with them. What more could they want? Well, there was that one thing. That one fruit. 
And so even though they could eat from any fruit in the entire garden, there was still that one fruit. And they had desire. They saw it. They thought about it. They had that that conversation with the serpent. And then that desire became action. And the action became sin. And, And that seems to be the way it is. That seems to be our pattern since since really Adam and Eve's time. We have been stuck as sinful human beings who covet, who have desire, and whose desire leads us into sin. You know, James chapter 1 tells us about this. James says this, chapter 1, verse 14, temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. When our desires are allowed to grow, they entice us and they give birth to death. This is our state. And so historically, it seems that to covet is not just to be an American, but to covet has been to be human. But it doesn't have to be this way. And so when you choose to submit your will to the will of Christ, when you center your desire and your value on Jesus alone instead of all of this stuff, when you remind yourself that God is truly enough, you can take steps into new life. And so this week, I hope that's your story. Because I know for myself, I know for all of us, that when we leave this building and head out of here, There will be a billboard, there will be an advertisement on our phones, there will be an advertisement somewhere else that will catch our eyes and tell us we need that thing. And yet God is enough. And so when you feel that, when you see that, when you know that you are are tempted to want to get more and to take more, remind yourself, remind yourself. Hey church, let me pray for you. Father God, I... I pray for for us today. We are your people. I thank you so much for your truth in Scripture. I thank you for your word. Um, I thank you for Jesus who, even though we were sinners, he chose to, to offer himself for us. God, you know our hearts and you know that, that even we as your people who have given our lives to you, that we're tempted to step into to sin all the time, that we want and we want and The world keeps telling us to want more. And so I pray this week that, God, we would be people who who notice those tendencies in ourselves. That we would repent of those ideas and those desires and that instead, Father, we we would live in this holy dissatisfaction, this restlessness that understands that nothing here can ever satisfy. And instead, we would look to you, God, knowing that you are truly enough. And so, God, by your spirit, I pray you empower your church to go be the church. It's Jesus. It's in your name. We pray these things. Amen. Hey, we're going to move to the next part of our service now, which is where we respond to God in worship. We do that a couple ways here at South. We worship by singing together and praising God. We worship by taking the Lord's Supper. That'll be at the tables around the room. So if you're a guest this morning, you can find the Lord's Supper there. That, that juice that reminds us of Jesus' blood spilled for you and me and that bread that reminds us of his body broken for us. And so we invite you to, to join us in that. And we also worship in a little bit by giving back to God. But as we move into that time, I want to read you just the next couple verses in Exodus 20. This is right after Moses has been there with the people and they've heard the words of God, the Ten Commandments. Verse 18 of Exodus 20, this happens. When the people heard the thunder... 
and the loud blasts of the ram's horn. And when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, you speak for us and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. God's voice and the accompanying wonders were too much for them. Because sinful humans cannot stand in the presence of a holy God and live. And so these people demanded that Moses be their mediator, that he speak to God for them and tell them God's words. And, you know, it would be much the same for us today. Sinful humans cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. But the Bible tells us we have one mediator who's so much better, so much more powerful, so much more sufficient than Moses ever could be. And Paul writes these words in 1 Timothy 2. He says, there is one God, one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Jesus Christ. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. So I want to let you know, there's one more way that you can respond this morning. As we respond in worship, you can respond by giving your life to Jesus. Over the last few weeks, we've seen a few baptisms here. We've seen new brothers and sisters come up out of that water alive in Christ. And that can be your story. Friend, if the things of this world have a hold on your heart, if you're disappointed when you look at your house and compare it to what you see on the TV, there's hope for you. There's hope for a life of meaning and purpose and, and community and right relationship with God and, and a future. And that hope can be yours. And so if, if God's been working on your heart over the last few weeks, maybe you've been waiting to take that step. We want to have that conversation with you. We want to talk with you about just what it means to, to make Jesus the Lord of your life to come and be obedient in baptism and to take that step. And so find me. I'll be in the back during the songs after worship or find one of our elders. They'll be around. They have the the blue lanyards. Don't wait another day. Church, would you stand and join us in worship?